Welcome to Rich State of Mind, episode 39, where I am interviewing Kamal Williams. He's a retired Navy veteran of 20 years in the Navy. He's also a father and he's also an author. We discuss influencing, impacting, and mentoring others. We also discuss uh, fighting our inner demons and issues and how to overcome them. It's definitely possible. Gamal uh, has a great story that I think everybody will be able to relate to on all levels, not just military. And this is an episode where, again, I like to focus on the rich state of mind psychologically as well, not just financial. And I think this is a great episode that uh, definitely pins on that. So please enjoy and thank you for listening. Please visit our site at www.richstateofmind.com where we provide content on real estate, personal finances, and self-development. Share your story and information by posting a blog on our site so that the Rich State of Mind community continues to grow in knowledge. You can also follow our Instagram page at rich underscore state brand to find out about exclusive offers and discount promotions for our apparel. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast because it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other outlets. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And thank you for listening. All right. Good evening, Gamal. I appreciate you taking this time this evening to do this interview. Uh, you have a great story from what we talked about previously. So if you could please share us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, first off, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Gamal Williams. I am a retired Navy senior chief uh, and I am a newly published author living in the Chesapeake, Virginia area. And then so hey, I'm a dad. I'm a dad too. That's like yeah, my, yeah, my yeah. Mom. Don't forget that. <laughs> yeah, that's what you know. I, that's they they get on my nerves sometimes. But those are my babies, you know. So I got a I got three. I got a daughter. Uh, uh, she's 19. I got a 15 year old son, soon to be 16, and then a 12 year old son who I nicknamed Simba because he thinks everything the light touches is his. So, yeah. All right. That's that's interesting. Uh, so if you could, please tell us a little bit about your, your naval career and then how you transitioned from retiring into your civilian uh, life. Oh, man. So uh, I joined the Navy in 1999 out of Miami. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, uh, but I lived in Miami like the last six, almost seven years before I joined the Navy. Um, came originally, originally wanted to be a Marine, to be honest with you. I was going to be a Marine, but they wouldn't guarantee my school. I cut a 93 on the ASVAB and it was like, yeah, you'll probably get electronics. I'm like, yeah, deuces. So I will literally walk right next door over for 163rd Street Mall. I walk right next door to the Marine to the Navy and signed up. Uh, went to boot camp in Chicago, uh, Pensacola for A school, and, and from there I was pretty much everywhere. Um, I, I was uh, avionics technician over at Oceana. Uh, I went precom to Iwo Jima. All my Iwo people, if y'all seeing this, what's up? Um, Left there, went to the schoolhouse, and you know, while I was on the EWO, um, 
I was I was really fortunate. I had some chiefs and officers and first classes that really looked out for me and put me in positions way higher than my pay grade. Um, so I was able to pick up chief pretty quick. I actually made chief in eight years and five months um, while I was at the schoolhouse. Um, and that was a real turning point because um, be honest with you, while I, I, my work merited me being chief emotionally and, and mentally, I wasn't ready for it. Uh, so my first few years was kind of rough as a chief, but um, you know, after, after I ended up doing 12 years as a chief, you know, I actually spent more time in khakis than I did in, in blues and uh, left schoolhouse, ended up doing some squadron tours, more ships company tours, ended up getting about eight deployments in in 20 years. Um, and then I got to a point where I just knew, you know, it was, it was time. It was time for me to go. It was time to give back to my my number one family. Like, I'm always going to love my Navy, Navy family, but it was time for me to give back to my number one family. Uh, I was eligible for a master chief, but and I, I said, I'm done. And the uh, best decision I could have ever made. Um, I have no regrets about it. Um, I get a chance to be at home, you know, especially last year, last year, if I had, if I hadn't retired in 19, um, April of 19, I would have been on deployment in January of 2020. And then again, on deployment right now. So when this epidemic pandemic hit and, you know, I'm trying to adjust to being a father and having a little one, little ones who are in school, it would have been, it would have been rough, you know. I, I'm, I'm glad I was here to be able to spend that quality time. Uh, the job I, I, I ended up getting, I work at uh, Air Land, um, Comnav Air Land. I'm in charge of the calibration program over there. And um, they afforded me the opportunity to work from home. So I was really fortunate that I'm able to, to be here during all that time. So, And that's a, that's a true blessing because um, I was talking to Courtney about this, about how the pandemic has really changed the the perspective of of being a, a a family being family in general and then a parent being at home mm-hmm. with your kids because obviously the uh, schools you know you know a lot of these schools weren't you weren't allowed to be in there until just recently so where does that leave the parents you got to make adjustments and it, it helped us prioritize what was important and i agree man you did make a choice like it was the perfect timing was perfect yeah because um, really? i felt bad for those guys on the ike um, <laughs> and I can only imagine if you about to retire and you got to go through that last seven month deployment with no ports, you probably like, yo, I'm definitely done at this. Listen, the Ike, the Ike, if you on the Ike, if you've ever served on the Ike, you know what I'm about to say is true. The Ike gets it. We deployed four times in five years, 09, 10, 12, and 13. And the worst one was 2000, uh, the 2013 deployment. We were supposed to leave February 21st. And the Truman pulled in to Norfolk and had their entire air wing still on board the ship in Norfolk. Every aircraft on board. They had all their stores, fuel, everything. Two days before we were supposed to, and we were like, there's no way they're going to send this out. The Truman's ready to go. Two days before we were supposed to deploy, they said, Truman, stand down. Ike, see you later. Our mouths hit the floor like, you can't be serious. We just got home in in December. We just got home and you sending this back? Truman made up for the last time too, though. Cause Truman been getting huh? that work since Truman made up for lost time too. Cause we've been getting that oh, work yeah, they, since they, 2015. They getting it now. Yeah. Yeah. They're getting it now. 
Man, we was like, I don't feel no sympathy. Everybody was like, oh, we like, man, I don't feel no sympathy for you, man. If you ain't been on Alcatraz, <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> Alcatraz, that's 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 good. I like that boy. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I my people know what we talking about. It's not it's not that it's a bad ship. It's just you serve so much time there. He <laughs> like, I can't get off of this boat. Man. You know, it's not that it's a bad uh, the crew. I would say. The, the camaraderie, I've, I've been lucky to been on, be on a couple ships where the camaraderie was like amazing. I remember being on the Kennedy for um, 9-11. And when I tell you the Ken, Kennedy was a floating dumpster fire, like they, that was held together <laughs> with, with duct tape and prayer. But the camaraderie and the morale on that ship during that time was amazing. Um, being on the Ike, I'm mean, not Ike, uh, the Iwo Jima. Um, we were the in 03 when uh iraqi storm and what no what was it uh operation iraqi freedom iraqi freedom yeah, yeah. off um we ended up doing and then we had to go to, to liberia we ended up doing i think it was 107 days straight out there um and that was our maiden voyage like we ended up i think total was like 200 something days like for our maiden voyage and again the camaraderie and mainly because we were a lot of us were plank owners you know so we had been there since you know this was a a barge before it was even a ship but um you know the camaraderie there was amazing and then like i said the ike you know even though we were doing back to back to back to back deployments um there were times we were low but we ended up pulling through and and the camaraderie is actually really really good there uh, i think I, I i tell people i really learned how to be a chief uh during that time you, know, you had no choice it was either sink or swim you had no choice yeah sink or swim yeah definitely so. yeah Definitely, uh, that's been the the gist of my tour on Truman. Has been sink or swim, uh, people. And this is our mentality. I think I would I would definitely like to take throughout the rest of my life. So there's been a few people that they'll check on board and they'd be like, you know, I'm just trying to make sure I survive when I get here. And I'm like, it ain't about just trying to survive. You got to come here and conquer. Like, right. the, the, yeah. And so I think that's something to apply to life. You know, when you have these goals, it ain't like, well, I'm just trying to get by. No, you got to go there, set your goal, and just run with it. Because if you try to tread water, you know, just to kind of stay afloat, you're never really going to get anywhere because you're going to have people just stepping over you, swimming past you like, oh, I'm passing you, bro. I'm out of here. You you sitting there talking dog paddling. Uh, so that's one thing I've learned in my Truman. Truman has definitely taught me that to definitely like put put your foot on the gas and then every opportunity, don't miss it. Definitely, you know, don't miss any opportunities that come your way. And so. With that, you had a great and challenging career and great, great story too, which we will go deep into later. So tell me a bit about the name of your book and then how that kind of correlates with your life. Okay, so uh, name of the book is called Finn, A Story of Love and Hope. And the book actually started from a dream. Um, this was like early February, March. I started having a dream. I wanna preface this, say this was before Ahmaud Arbery, before Breonna Taylor, before George Floyd. Um, I had a dream that I was working in a convenience store. I've never worked in a convenience store before, but this was my dream. And I was getting off, it was late at night, I was getting off work and I'm throwing the trash out. And while I'm throwing the trash out, someone comes and tries to rob the, the, the convenience store. The police show up and while the robber's getting away, I inadvertently get shot and I, I, and I die. And when I first had the dream, like, I mean, I woke up in a cold sweat, like, what was that? But then I just kept having the dream over and over and over again. And finally, after about three, four weeks of this, I just woke up and wrote it. I just wrote, wrote out this scene. 
and I sent it to my publisher and um, she was a friend, she wasn't my publisher at the time. I knew she had written a book, she started a publishing company. I sent it to her, uh, her name is Sasha Ridley over at Ray Legacy Publishing. And I, I sent it to her and she immediately called me back like, hey, where's the rest of this? So then it was the idea of, well, how, how, do, how did this kid get here? How did this person get here? The time 2016 when, when Colin Kaepernick started kneeling, you know, I, I, I kind of got real political, but not so much about, you know, Democrat, Republican, but more so about social issues that were going on because there were men and women that I served with that didn't quite understand what was going on. And they viewed the, the, the protest as something that was being overblown. It wasn't that bad. Um, and I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like some of these kids, these young men, women getting shot, getting beat, that could easily be me, I, you know? And, and I started writing a lot of, a lot of posts and people would tell me I should write a book. So when it came to Finn, I said, I can talk about these issues without overtly talking about the issues. Um, there's enough of people writing their, their sob story. This happened to me when I was a, when I was a kid and this and forth. And it was, it was enough of everybody beating those drums. And I'm like, I need to, I want to find a different way to bring people into the issue and have a, a, a sense of empathy. Um, Cause I thought that was what was lacking. It was empathy. People wanted to see it from their point of view and their point of view only and not put themselves in the shoes of a young black male, young black female. So when I wrote that scene, um, I knew it was going to touch a lot of nerves, but you know, a lot of the, the angst and things that go on in our neighborhoods are bigger than just drugs or violence. It's anger, it's frustration, it's depression, it's fear. And I wanted to address those issues in the book, but frame it in a way where it wasn't all about despair, but there was love and hope within those stories. So my idea was if I can bring these people into the characters and make them see, almost put themselves in the character's shoes and then they could see the situation differently, um, maybe I could reach reach some people. And I'll tell you, some of the, 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 the most amazing comments I've gotten have actually been from white people who have called, called me, like some of them in tears saying, I never saw it this way. I never viewed it like the way you framed it. Like I wouldn't, I, that could be me. That could have been me. If I was born in that situation, that could have been me. So um, that's the premise of the book. Uh, and, and, and it was mainly to spark conversations, you know, and there's other things I touch on. I touch on alcoholism. I touch on domestic violence. Um, I touch on young, especially young black men. Uh, I know for me growing up, being able to tell another black man, hey bro, I love you. That was like taboo. We didn't say that, you know, yeah, it yeah. was no, you know, there was no, we didn't show affection like that. There was no vulnerability to do that. It's happening more now and I applaud it. I'm so happy for it, but that is a relatively new phenomenon, yeah. you know, and, and I, and I will, I will tell you this also, I will give black women credit for this one because the whole black girl magic movement and how they up, you know, I've seen the little memes, a, a queen, 
you fix, I'm going to fix your crown, like stuff like that. I've seen that, and, and men have kind of followed that lead, and it's, it's yeah. beautiful. It's beautiful to see. Um, but those those are the type of things I touch on in the book. So I, I allow these characters in the book to show their emotions, especially when it comes to to males showing anger and weakness and and uh, and, and fear. Um, and then the ability to, to just cry and then not be, you know, I know, I, I know I don't say this to my, my son, but I've seen people say this to my son. You see, they see a little boy crying. One of the first things they say, stop acting like a girl. Yeah. And that's crazy. You know, he's not acting like a girl. He's acting like a human. Like, so if, if, if I'm a young male, if I'm a four or five, six year old, and I feel frustration or anger to a point, it moves me to tears. I have to, if I, if I if I actually feel that way, I'm acting like a girl. So I repress that. I push yeah. that down. But now I don't have an outlet, nor do I have uh, someone I can talk to and, and be and trust enough to allow myself to feel that. And, and and that builds up over time, over over years. So a lot of the characters, I I make a point. Someone said to me, "Man, you always got them crying." I said, "But you know what? They should. Some of them should have. Some of the situation they should have. It was they should have been okay to cry." And there's one character in particular. His, his real name is Chris, but um, we call him, his nickname is Bless You. Thanks, <laughs> we, thanks. Call Stacks. we call him Stacks uh, in the book. Um, Stacks was was in the son of a criminal, and he is his family, especially his father, is trying to force him into the family business. And he's like the most he's just super smart, and he doesn't want anything to do with it. But he has to play this role of being. The, the son of the gangster of being this guy. He doesn't want to do it. And so many things happen to him in his life that it's only at the end where he finally says, I got to let this go. And he's able to just cry, you know, just get this out and have this moment. Um, and I, I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, I have a good friend who's a school teacher. And he said, you know, I read your book and Stack sits in my class. He goes, I, I know this kid. I've seen him. He goes, but I never saw him this way. But I knew something was going on with him. And it wasn't until I read this that I looked at him differently. Like, this is what it is. It gives insight and, on these kids. Yeah, yeah. You know, because they're really good kids. And they, and you know, we see them when they come into the Navy. I, you yeah. know, I've seen so many of these kids that, you know, it, it's sad. They, they, they come to the Navy, but they don't want to let go of that street mentality. And you have to kind of grab them and shake them like, you know, you, you, you didn't just go get a job somewhere, go to school. You came here because you knew the environment you were in and where you were wasn't conducive to your growth. Why are you not letting it go? I got two guys that as soon as you brought that up, they reminded me of that. Um, they come into the Navy thinking the world's already against them. And right, most of the leadership, especially khaki leadership, is Caucasian. So you come into a world that, that you say it's a white man's world all over again. And so I, I've had to multiple times even like, and this is how I know I care because I'm I'm yelling past taps in a in a bird and like, yo, the, you got this fresh start for a reason. Don't turn the world against you. You can use this as an opportunity to do better, uh, but you got to figure out how to move. You going against the grain ain't gonna work for you, and you thinking that oh I'm, I don't want to have to listen to nobody. No matter where you go, you gonna have to listen to somebody. Even a drug dealer listens gets listens to somebody. He's a uh, He's listening to the person that's providing him the drugs or the person that 
uh, is giving him their, their, his, you know, a little bit of a piece of the pie. So everybody's got somebody to listen to at the beginning. As part, part of the totem pole, it's capital, capitalism at its, you know, at its finest in America. So uh, it's just that for this, right, it's very structured. And yeah, can it be inconvenient and demoralizing at times? Of course, but it's part of breaking down the, you know, your pride and stuff like that. And it right. does, it does sadden me because uh, Amira and I, we were originally from the Bronx as well, but I've spent half my life down here thanks to the Navy and us moving down here. So when we go up to New York or when I go to any other place that's in the city, cause I was stationed in Los Angeles before here too. So mm-hmm. LA is just a West coast version of New York to me, as far as the, how the demographics are, demographics are set up. And one thing that's, a, you could tell the thought process when they come in, it never left. They still carry that stuff over into the Navy. And now I have to, and boot camp doesn't change people like I guess the, then people think it's supposed to. It's just two no. months of you kind of playing the role and then you go into the Navy, into the fleet, and then you picking up pretty much where you left off, almost to, to, the, uh, to the sense where people are still, still selling drugs in the Navy <laughs> and they're still on that gang stuff, right? So it's, it's I'm big on trying to make somebody a, a bigger, a better human being or a better woman, a better man versus a better sailor. Because I think that transition is better, especially if they get out. The Navy's just not for them, then that's fine. Uh, but they got to, here's the thing too, right? You can't want it more than them. Because exactly. I've run into that where I've gotten burnt out trying to, because I want it more for them than they want it for themselves. And, and maybe they just they just get in their own way. Uh, and, and look, you don't get everybody, right? Right. And, and that's why I learned from one of my mentors, he, he called it, you have to focus on your sphere of influence. He's like, so think about it like this. If you're a supervisor of a section, focus on your section of people. If they listen to you and you can influence them positively, focus on them. And then their positivity and their work ethic that you and, and uh, things that you train them on has instilled in them. They will spread it to the other guys that they have influence on. And then well, the theory is that it'll spread out. Yeah. <laughs> so, because you may not be able to, you may be able to reach six sailors, but that seventh, eighth sailor, you can't reach because they just not digging you. But maybe <clears> they <throat> dig one of the sailors or maybe one of your peers that you have influenced. And then that goes into them. So he's like, sphere of influence. Uh, exactly. Because it's just impossible to just reach out to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, I, I started calling that, it's Bomani Jones used to say this all the time. Some of those kids, I, we call them can't go back all-stars. Like, you know, you can't go back. <laughs> if you go back, what's there for you? Like, what, what, are you, what are you doing? And sometimes it did take, you know, I'll tell you, I, I have a story. He, he's, he's retired now, uh, retired Master Chief Gerald Williams. So I was a young uh, airman in A school. Now, mind you, I came in, I was 23 years old, but I still had that Brooklyn, I want to fight all the time mentality. And I got into a fight and I'm standing outside the uh, the the instructor office. And in A school down there, we had nothing but gunnery sergeants, mainly gunnery sergeants. We had a couple of chiefs, some Air Force, but it was mainly Marines that ran our schoolhouse. So I'm standing outside there and he was an AT1. He walks by and he sees me. And, he, and, he, and I'm at parade rest. He goes, come to attention. And I'm, I come to attention. He goes, what are you out here for? And I told him, he was like, stay right here. And he goes inside. Now, I don't know what he said when he went in that office, but he came out and he said, come with me. And he took me over to another office and he kicked everybody else out. And before that door could close, 
I was up off my feet, up against the wall. And he grabbed me. He goes, what the is wrong with you? Don't you know how smart you are? Don't you know? Like, and he was trembling so hard. I could see his eyes welling up. And he was from the, he was from the Bronx. And it shook me because it was the first time someone, as crazy as it sounds, he, he, he talked my language. Like, it, I, I, I got it. That level of passion and, and, and fury that I saw in him, on, on, as even though it's in an, it came from a negative space, he knew how to reach me. And I'm not saying anybody's watching this go out here and jack and sail That's what I'm saying. It's a whole different Navy. <laughs> and that's I'm about to say it's a different Navy. Different Navy back then. But <laughs> you know, I, ne- I never forgot that moment. And it, and it was like something clicked in my head, you know, like, okay, I can do better. And not too long after that, you know, I, my daughter came along and I had a hunger and it was for her, but it was still from a kind of sort of like a selfish place. It wasn't until, you know, I made chief and a mentor tasked me, he goes, you'll know when you're, you're good at this, when you make your first chief. And I was like, hmm, how do I bring someone up to this level? And once I started, I was able to make someone to help them to, to get to that level of chief. It was more about, okay, how can I help people? What sailors can I help? What Marines, because I've had Marines that work for me. I've had civilians that work for me. Um, and I started looking for the ones that that didn't have a voice, you know, because I remember going back to AT1 Williams. You know, Gerald, if you're watching this, man, I love you, bro. I'll never forget that moment. But um, I go back to that moment when he went in that room and spoke for me. And he said what I couldn't, because if I would have walked in that room, it would have been the little, the, the 23-year-old kid with an attitude, you know? And he walked in there and said, I get this kid, I know him. You know, basically he's like, I got him, trust me, I'll take care of him. And he turned me around. So I became a collector. Let's I tell people, I would collect the kids, the the, the, the sailors that nobody wanted, the sales that was the problem children, the sales that everybody wanted to kick, kick, wanted to kick out, give them to me. I got burned. There was times, you know, I had one sailor and it was a white sailor too. Um, he had been a captain, I don't know how many times. And I said, no, I got him. I got him and, you know, I, I, he went to mass, he was on the plane, he went to mass and we pull into Dubai and he's on 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 uh, Class Charlie Liberty. So I check him out, I check him out. I take him out, let him go get some, 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 some life out there in a the little sandbox, let him get a little, some laundry, some internet, whatnot. We pull back out the city and this man called me a racial racial slur. You know, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I I, I told this story. Um, he was supposed to be one spot. I went to the gym because he was on night check. I went to the gym. I come back to the work center, check my email. I'm about to check to see if the, if the wife's email me or anything. And, uh, you know, he I actually does, you know, does eight a.m. more know where you at? And he goes, yeah, yeah. Well, that first class comes in. Finds out, I find out he wasn't supposed to be where he was supposed to be. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. No one knew that he was in there. So I kick everyone else out. It's me and him in the first class. And I start going off and I'm back in the first class. I would say, you're going to do exactly what anyone tells you to do. And he goes, that's what I'm trying to do, you effing. And oh, I tell you, so so you ever see that those movies where like someone will be standing there and then the monster just come in and just yank them out? Yeah. <laughs> like the, tentacle wrap around just suck them into another room there was a third class this young third class and it goes kind of tight and bring it full circle 
this young third class, huge guy, big, tall, black guy. Uh, he's at A81 now. He had his headphones on and he was listening to a song and it was in that brief three seconds in between song where there's a gap when the boy said it. And he was standing outside and he heard it. And he opens the door and he walks in. Now I'm not the biggest guy. I'm about five foot eight. This guy's about six foot three. He walks in and grabs me, picks me up, walks out, walks downstairs, sets me down. And he looks at me, he goes, chief, not you. And I'm like, I'm gonna kill him. And he grabbed me, chief, not you. And he was crying. And it hit, I had to wake up. I was like, whoa. Like he knew I was about in this kid and he was like not you you can't do this and he was like please don't do this like please and i'm like i got you you, you you're right you know so you know sometimes and, and this kid white when i first got there he was the dirt bag he had been you know he had went to captain's mass for fighting and he had the significant problems eval but i said give them to me i want them I want him. And we had just had our evals and he was the number two EP. One eval later, he was the number two EP because I worked with him and I talked to him all the time. And for a moment there, he thought he, the one person that had his back, he was about to lose. And that's when I realized I can't take myself down that road because there are so many sailors. I may not reach them all, but I can reach some of them. And even if I could just get one of them to turn their life around, then it was worth it. You know, so it's 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 a, it's it, that, that was hard. I'm not gonna tell you that, that, uh, that was it was hard not to not to put hands and you know talk to them in braille, let them feel what I'm saying. But <laughs> <laughs> it was hard. But you know, I had to realize it's bigger than me. It's not it's not for me. I'm in this position not to toot my own horn. I'm in this position to champion these young sailors and help them make the mission a success. You know, because I'm not the good one out there turning the wrenches. I'm not the one there filling out the paperwork. I'm not the one there sitting in front of the computer taking away everything to take care of. They are. And I need to be here for when they have the moment that I'm about to have. I, I was about to have. I need to be here for that. I need to be here to say, don't throw this sailor away. Don't, this sailor made a mistake, but this sailor is still good. Because I know coming up, I saw quite a few of my friends make that mistake and get sent home. And they didn't have that person in there saying, hey, I get them. This is this is a kid from my neighborhood. You can't say something like that to a kid from my neighborhood because they're going to put hands on you. Like, this is, you know, this, <laughs> you know, like, watch what you say, you know. And, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a rough moment. It was a rough moment, but it was definitely one that I, I, I in, a, in a crazy way, I cherished. Because even though something bad happened to me, a moment later, something great happened to me. And watching that kid get to look, that level of emotion, let me know you're doing something right. And even though you didn't, you couldn't fix this one, you did something right for this grown man to pick you up and carry you down a ladder well. Because we out to sea, carry me down a ladder well and, and beg me, don't do this. And I'm like, okay. So I think, and so I've, right after we talked a few days ago, I had a conversation where I was discussing about how throughout my time on board Truman, I put a lot of time into people and it's, you have to find a balance between uh, putting your time and energy into them, but not so much that they suck you down with them. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, trying to find that, uh, that fine line 
because you have your responsibilities at home, right? And, you know, we got our families. And so when I come home, it's hard to turn that, that switch off because you have these emotional, you got emotional t- attachments to these individuals. I think when, when especially yeah. when, more in particular to the military, right? We live with each other. But so that kind of, I think, amplifies or we grow relationships a bit faster than normal. You know, maybe what we do, did in a month where they usually took people six months. But I think this applies to anybody when you're trying to be a leader, you're trying to mentor people uh, to have that fine line because you'll find yourself like, like pouring so much into them because you want to, you want to make it right. You want to be able to fix because you see, you see yourself in them. Uh, you right. see the issues that you went through growing up and you wish you had somebody at their age telling you, Hey, don't do this. And a lot of times that they don't listen. Cause I know there's sometimes where I was being put on game to something at 19. I was just like, yeah, you old. <laughs> yeah, nothing, exactly. man. I got this. And then looking back, I'm like, yo, I wish I listened to that. Uh, my life yeah. would have been a whole lot different. Now, things, it's funny how some blessings come out of the mistakes that you make, right? Like just like your situation. So you can't, you can't be like, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to take it all back because there were some life lessons that I learned. I would have never maybe learned had I not gone through that situation. Uh, so, yeah. you know, it ends up kind of working out. Yeah. You know, I, I, I learned early on, like, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't want to say I, I regret not listening to people. It's probably, I wasn't ready to listen. And I had to get to that point when I got to that point, but where my life is now, while I might wish that it could have been a little easier or things happened a little differently. I'm grateful they happen exactly the way they are because I'm happy where I am now. Um, and, and I can't undo that situation. I'm just grateful. I had people that stuck in my corner that allowed me to fall and then said, okay, dummy, now come on over here, (laughs) you know, and let's talk, you know? Um, but Sometimes, you know, going back to what you said, you know, you put so much in, into another person. I think that was the balance that it took me a long time to, 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 to understand because, you know, you give so much of yourself to, to these sailors, but you're not kind of, you're not feeding your own soul. You're not feeding your own spirit to replenish yes. that, you know? Yes. And I, 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 I've told people, you know, when, when, when I make cat, they said, what's the biggest thing about being, being a chief? Some of my junior sailors, they'll, you know, ask, that's your chief. What's the biggest thing? And they think, oh, the food's better, the rats better. That's all, that's all fridge benefits. You know, it's the biggest thing about being for me was I got the whole story. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, there was an incident that nobody quite understood why the decision was made. We get that extra little piece. And that piece sometimes is so gut wrenching or devastating or heavy. Like, and you can't share it with anybody. And sometimes we hear and see things when you may, when you make, you know, chief people, I've had sailors come up to me and just tell me they were sexually assaulted, male, female. Um, I've had sailors walk up and tell me they're ready to kill herself. I had sailors, I had one sailor tell me he's been for like six, seven months, he's been addicted to heroin and he's just never came up on a, on a piss test. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> wait, what? You know, and it's not something you want to take home and share with the wife and kids. You know, how was your day at school? Yeah, how, how'd you do today? Oh, well, you know, I had a girl slit her wrist. You know, it's, that's not something you share. So at you, the dinner you table. Hold it. 
Yeah, you know, you hold that and and you're trying to be there. Um, I've had sailors get the phone call that their mom or dad is going to pass and they got like six hours. They give them six hours and we're like out to sea. Like, and that sailor, I've had sailors lose a child. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you comfort that sailor and then the next sailor and then the next sailor and then the next sailor and not expect to be, to carry some of that with you. And they don't give us training like they should. They don't prep us on how to deal with that stuff. They give us a PowerPoint. Yeah, yeah. You know, but they really don't tell you how us as leaders are supposed to process that. You know, that's what, uh, you know, what therapists and psychologists uh, uh, I forget the exact term for it, but it's basically when you carry that other person's pain, they they worry about that. That's something that they go through intense training. And a lot of those therapists are in therapy because of it. Yet we're supposed to go out here and deal with all this stuff and then go out here and launch aircraft or go out here and stand to watch and do this while we're away from our family for seven months, then come home and act like nothing happened, just assimilate back into family life it's it, it that's the hardest part and i said you know what that's why we get those bigger racks and the better food because sometimes i walk into the mess and just put my head down like this like oh my god i can't believe i don't even know what we did in the shop today i don't even know if anything worked today because i was dealing with all this other stuff you know so it, it's one a, thing it's i've better- learned two things you just mentioned actually so uh since i've been a chief uh, one thing that i've noticed is that a lot of times it's a thankless job and the junior sailors will didn't they do not know the full story so what they've heard or what the what the rumor may be you may end up looking Mm -hmm. like the villain or looking like you didn't fight for them like you could have but little do they know what you just went through to uh fight for them despite their shortcomings because they they, a lot of times they don't acknowledge it you know they don't acknowledge their shortcomings very rarely do i have a sailor that will admit what they did and then go to fix it right uh so it is what it is, uh, but it's fine because if you're in it for the accolades of people praising you, then you're in the wrong business. Yeah, yeah. And but you know, it comes to, go, go ahead. ahead. And then when it comes to the family, uh, not to say like obviously, if you try to pour into your family or your let's say your spouse or what you got going on, she is obviously he or she's going to care because it affects you. But I was talking to my divo the other day and I was like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, my significant other, does she really care about this other sailor? No, she cares about my well-being. You know what I'm saying? And so if if I'm jeopardizing my well-being because of how much I care about this particular sailor, her initial reaction is, well, you need to make some decisions because it is affecting your household now. And so... And so that's a, um, like I said, a balance that you have to kind of figure out. And you're right, the outlet, uh, it may be a little filtered, right? Because like you said, it's not something to have at the dinner table. It's not something to talk about. Right. In bed, you know what I'm saying? That's your time to detox and just relax, not talk about how somebody just tried to kill himself. All right, baby, good night. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, you know, and I tell you, like I said, I learned it. I learned it late in life and it, it cost me because things just like these sailors came into the military with issues. I came into the military with issues Mm -hmm. and I did make chief so fast. And there was so much pressure on me and I didn't know how to handle it. And I, even as a chief still didn't trust 
people enough to tell them what I was going through that it, it would that this was eating at me and that's what you I, just reminded me about yeah it didn't you know, stop it, it didn't stop after you went through season you it was it, you were supposed to still be learning and so right I think that's a, that's a misconception a lot of people have and so those situations you was talking about how you weren't trained for it through NDOC chief CPO NDOC right there was another khaki that probably went through what you went through and that's where we you were supposed to still be talking to the mess figuring out okay what did you go through bro because I got this situation I ain't never heard of him in my life especially being on a carrier there's some situations where I was just like what is this like never knew this was possible uh so when people for people that think that they made it in life like oh, I made it because put on khakis right that's like oh we made it but you're not you right. didn't make it there's still stuff to learn there's still situations you have never experienced and it doesn't stop there. And that's in anything in life. Continue to keep the door open that you can learn uh, no matter how much you feel like you've mastered a particular thing. Right. Yeah. And, and I tell you, I, unfortunately, so when I made chief, I was at the schoolhouse. I was over at damn neck and I was kind of on an Island by myself. Um, I had a few sales that worked underneath me, but I didn't really have another chief that I interacted with. Um, when I first made it, I ended up getting there when I, and there was a, a, a senior chief I interacted with, but I didn't trust the process. I didn't, I didn't, I, didn't, I thought it was going to come off. And this is just me, my arrogance, refusing to be humble. I felt that I couldn't come and tell somebody that this was taking a toll on me because I thought I'd be looked at as a failure. And my recourse what a lot of sailors do is I started drinking and I you know I was always drinking I, I drank before but I really started drinking really heavily um until in 2016 um I had to check myself in a rehab I didn't get in trouble didn't get arrested nothing like that but I went on a bender on a weekend and by that Monday I was like enough I can't do this anymore and I checked myself in and I'll tell you the the support I got from the chiefs, from my chain of command, they didn't look at me as a failure. They kept telling me, "We're proud of you." And I'm like, "How are you proud of me? I, I I crumbled. I couldn't take it anymore." And they were like, "No, because you you did it the right way. You got, you asked for help." Um, and then it was it, it took. I, I tell you, my my greatest failure, and I say that was a failure because I I let it get to that point. It also became one of my greatest triumphs because it allowed me, once I cleared my head, to see things from a different point of view and look at sailors, not just on the on the superficial of what can I do to make you a better sailor, but really look at them and say, something's not right. Like, you know, I, I know there's something going on with this sailor way deeper than what they're letting on. And a lot of times because you know, after a while, right after I got rehab, I was able to, I, my, my chain of command allowed me to get up at uh, safety stand down and I was able to share my story with my entire command. But because I was, I was vulnerable like that, and I'm saying that everyone has to do this, but because I was vulnerable like that and I allowed them in and they knew, well, wow, Chief Williams could suffer through this. Anybody can. Then they were able, they, they trusted me more. They opened up to me more. And I think a lot of times us as leaders don't want to show that we're, that we we have we're human we're, we have flaws that we we're dealing with things and 
me letting them know and, and sometimes I just say, look I, I'm I'm scared about things too or I feel this too or, you know you don't do something you imagine let me tell you some problems we went through being able to talk to those sales on that level really opened things up for me and and, and opened things up for them and it allowed going back to what you said earlier on they became like my little profits so I would have sailors that I worked with bring me a sailor I'd never met before and they would say talk to chief or then I may see you talk to senior, senior, senior can help. And like, what's the problem? Senior, this is it. Da, 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 da. Okay. What's going on? Who's your chief? Let's go talk to him. And I became almost like a, that third party, you know, Hey bro. Hey sis. One of your sailors came to me about this. Don't get mad at them, but just listen, this is what they're scared to tell you. This is what they haven't told you. You know, I don't want you to take this as, well, why are they telling you don't, it's not about that. It's not about, about territories and about this it's about helping this sailor yeah. you know it's about making sure this sailor gets the support that they need whether they told me or not they told somebody if one of my sailors came and told you something you told me i would say thank you don't get mad about this you know and that really let me know okay what you're going through i said earlier i don't really have regrets what you're going through had a purpose Sometimes I'm going through something and, and I'm on a path and it may not even be really my path, but I have to go through this because it's someone else I'm supposed to help later on. I'm supposed to reach out and grab somebody later on. I don't know who it is, but when I find them, oh, you're the one I'm supposed to, I know what I need to talk to you about or better yet, because I've had a conversation with somebody else and that they, they went through something similar because we had that open dialogue. I'm able to go up to him and say, you know what? You may not, I may not be able to talk to you, but I got the perfect person that you can talk to. Come here, let's, let me put you with this person and, you know, and be able to have those types of, and, and I think if more leadership in the Navy and not, not just in the Navy, but in, in life period, when I say leadership, us as parents, we're leading, we're, we're leading our children into life, you know, um, us brothers, older brothers or sisters or husband and wife, sometimes, you know, the wife takes the, has to take the lead and show, baby, let me tell you this. Or the husband takes the lead. Sweetie, let me show you something. If we allow ourselves to have those vulnerable moments where we can talk, not just about the good stuff, but about the bad stuff, about the pitfalls, and we, we can trust in that. I've seen so much growth in people's relationships and, and in people, period, from those types of moments, which is kind of what I tried to put back into the book. Like, let me show you what happens when people have that level of openness and that, di that level of dialogue and trust amongst each other. Even when it's someone you would never think is going through something like this. So, and speaking of the book, <laughs> I'm gonna make I'm gonna make sure that I put the uh, a link to the book because you said it's on Amazon. Put the yeah, it's on Amazon, Amazon Kindle, Barnes and Noble, uh, Ingram Spark, yeah. So yeah, I'll make sure I'll put the link to the book inside the description on YouTube and on the podcast so people could check that book out. I know you said you got you're getting some great reviews. It's all you're the first person I've been able to talk to where you like your book is being accepted into Barnes and Nobles. So definitely offline yeah. I'll be picking your brain on that process. Um, because I was telling you how me and my father think about writing a book. Well, he's writing on his. I just been putting my little pieces here and there, but he's actually working on his with the whole world building I was talking to about earlier. So that's pretty dope. Oh man. Uh, so putting this all together, uh, what would you consider your rich state of mind? What is your big why as to why you have so much passion and things that you do? Um, I, I tell, you know, I tell people uh, a lot that 
it was done for me. Someone paid it forward with me and it's my job to pay it forward now. Um, and and, and you, we only get one shot at this thing called life. You know, and we have this too much, too much time we waste looking, waiting for something to happen and we never put action in it on, our, on ourselves. So if you're having a problem with your marriage, put that action in to fix it. Be, be humble enough to know that there's a problem and you very well may be the cause of or the source of said problem, but what do we do to fix it? If you're having problems with, a, if you're in the military, you're having problems with one of your subordinates or one of your peers or one of your superiors, figure out what you can do to fix it. What can we do to make this better? If it's something that's just personally within you, don't be scared, figure it out. Take that chance and, and try to make it better. Um, but you got to be honest with yourself and you have to be willing to be open and, and vulnerable. Uh, and it, it's tough, especially as men. We don't like hearing that word vulnerable. We don't like we don't like hearing that word emotion. But deep down inside, when no one else knows, we all know how we like to call it insecurities or our, our, our things we worry about. But we know deep down inside what it is and find that person that you can talk to, um, find that outlet that you need to to not only heal whatever it is, strengthen whatever it is, but feed yourself, feed your soul, feed your spirit. And in turn, you'll feed your family. You'll, you'll, it'll, it'll go through everything that you do. Um, and that's kind of how I operate. You know, it's, it's taking a long time. I'll be 45 in a couple of days and it's taking a long time to get here. And I, sometimes I wish I could just go back to young me and say, come here. It's gonna be okay, but let me talk to you. <laughs> you know, I wish I could go back and talk to him, but I'm I I love that person. I don't hate that person. I love that person I used to be because he became me, uh, and I'm I'm really just excited to see where I'm gonna go from here. And uh, I'm just trying to relay all of that to my to my children, and hopefully they don't make the mistakes that I made. And you're enjoying your second life, your second term in life of retirement. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh yeah, loving every second of it. Loving every second. Yeah. When the next time you pull out, I'll be I'll be thinking about you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate your time, Gabal. Uh, this has been great. I think we gave some great insight when it came to leadership. Uh, definitely, right. Our our reference is the military, but I think that in, is when it comes to influencing, mentoring, and leading individuals, uh, this can be used across the board, and to make sure that emotionally we are taking care of ourselves as well throughout that journey and how we have to kind of sometimes, we can't forget where we came from, right? And our, and our background and how we were that person 20, 15, 10 years ago. And how can we right. bring that person up, try to save that individual? So again, Gamal, thank you so much. Thanks for giving your insight and your story. I really appreciate it, man. Hey, thanks for having me, brother. <laughs>